Heavenly Father, we do come boldly this evening in Christ alone. And there are some heavy things on our hearts. For many of us here, there may be things that others don't know about. Fears, burdens that we have. Yet even as we've just sung, you're coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. As we come to you in prayer, we're coming to a king. We're coming to the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, a God who will not only hear our prayers, but a God who can act in our behalf for our good and for your glory. Father, we rejoice in that hope that we have this evening. At the same time, we do have big requests, big prayers, big petitions, and yet a bigger God. And even this evening, as we look at this psalm, I pray that we would find hope. I pray that we'd be encouraged, that your spirit would work through your word in each and every one of us for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So studying Psalm 49 this week, it's, it's kind of a, it's a heavy psalm. It deals with a very heavy subject. It's a, it's a dark psalm. In fact, if you look at uh, verse 4, the psalmist introducing the psalm says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on the heart. He even tells you right here at the beginning, this is dark. I'm considering some heavy things here. Yet in the midst of all the heaviness, there is hope for those who are in Christ, for those who are God's, for believers, as we'll see. Psalm 49 falls under the category of wisdom literature. It's very similar to a proverb, or more likely, as, you work, as we work our way through this, you'll recognize it's very similar to Ecclesiastes. It's very heavy, very honest. And as you work your way through this psalm, we'll see in the first four verses a call to listen and a call to consider these truths. And then in verses 5 to 12, what are we to consider? We're to consider that the ungodly are hopeless in life because they cannot avoid death. And in verses 13 to 20, the ungodly are also hopeless in death because they are without God. And the overarching truth over all of Psalm 49 is the reality that everybody dies. Join me in Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditations of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil, when iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live earnestly and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless perish, person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their house will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, 
though in honor, does not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who will prove their sayings. Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when, when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. The man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. As we come to Psalm 49 this evening, it's actually a very appropriate psalm uh, for where we find ourselves even this week. We're working our way through the book of John, and currently we find ourselves in John 11, the story of Lazarus. The very thing that Jesus is dealing with, that the disciples are dealing with, that the crowd that is gathered is dealing with, is death. And the tension of John 11 is the reality that we will all die. Death is not a respecter of persons. We will all die. We all are mortal men. And apart from the return of Christ, we will all face death. That's the tension of John 11. As you work your way through John 11, as Jesus makes statements like, I am the resurrection and the life, the hope is that Jesus can actually do what he has said he has done. The hope is that, as we will see this week at the end of the chapter, that Jesus will be able to raise Lazarus. Because if he can't raise Lazarus, then he can't raise us. As you come to Psalm 49, that same idea, the same reality that everybody will face death is what hangs over this psalm. That is the dark saying that is on the mind of the psalmist. And the first thing we see in the first four verses is a call to listen, a call to consider. It's actually kind of a long introduction for a psalm. He spends the whole time saying, listen, everybody, listen. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor. The truths that I am about to, to unfold, that I am about to put into song, are applicable to every single one of you. There is not a rich man who can avoid this. There is not a poor man who can avoid this. There is not a powerful man or a weak man. Everyone will face this. So listen. Pay attention. I have something important to say. My mouth will speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on the harp. Listen. Consider what I have to say. Verses 5 to 12 then we see... The reality that the ungodly are hopeless in life because they cannot avoid death. The psalmist starts in verse 5. After saying, pay attention, listen, he starts, Well, why should I fear the days of evil? When the iniquity of my heels surround me. Why should I fear? What do I have to fear? 
the direction of the psalm is the fact, as we get into it in verse 15, that the psalmist has nothing to fear. Because the psalmist believes God. The psalmist follows God. The psalmist is God's. Therefore, he has nothing to fear. But what about those who aren't? What about those who aren't? The reality is the rich will die. Money cannot save you. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. The rich cannot avoid death with their riches. There is no man who can come before God and say, I have this much money, I will give it to you if you will give me my brother back. I will give it to you if you will give me ten more years of life. The rich cannot avoid death. They cannot put off death. Their riches are as nothing before God. Not only can the rich not avoid death, the wise will not be able to avoid death. The wise cannot avoid death with their cunning. Verse 10, he sees a wise man die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. The rich die, the wise die. Verse 11, though, even in this, as this rich man comes to this realization that I I will face death, no matter how much I, I accumulate in this life, there's nothing that can help me to avoid death in my riches. How do they comfort themselves? What hope could they possibly have? Verse 11 shows us their shallow hope that they cling to. Their inner thought is this, that their house will last forever. Well, if I will die, if I can't last forever, at least my name will. At least my riches can go to to my son. It can be passed down for generation. This, This house that I have built, I can pass it on. This land that I've accumulated, I can pass it on under my name. It will go on. That is the shallow hope that they cling to. Verse 12 shows just how ridiculous that is. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. No matter what they do, no matter how much they accumulate, they will not remain. In fact, he's no better than a beast. Like a beast that perishes. In the end, you're no different than an animal. You come to the same end. You face the same death. Verse 12, actually, is kind of a a chorus. It splits the psalm in two. You see it here in verse 12. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He's like the beast that perishes. Then the last verse, verse 20, in a little bit different words, but the same idea, a man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beast that perishes. This is the, the chorus of this psalm that brings the, the, the thought, the idea that the psalmist is trying to get across down to one simple idea, you will perish. This is the way of those who are foolish, verse 13. 
and of their posterity who prove their sayings. Selah. The word selah is to pause, to think on this. Think on this. Think on the foolishness of the rich and the ungodly. Think on the foolishness of the wise and ungodly. Think of the foolishness of this, that this is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. It just goes on generation after generation after generation after generation. The same thing over and over and over and to every single generation, death comes. And they do the same thing again. She comes to verse 14 then. He moves on. What is this end? They have no hope in life. The little hope they cling to is a shallow hope. That means nothing. Because verse 14, like sheep they are laid in graves. Death shall feed on them. They will rot in the grave. This land that they've accumulated, this 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 house that they have built, while their posterity may live in it, they will rot away in the ground like an animal, like a beast, like a sheep. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. Morning there is a general idea of eternity. The idea that he's starting to hint at here, and he will get to in verse 15, is that the righteous will triumph in the end. Because God will triumph. In the morning, in eternity, the upright or the righteous, the godly, will have dominion over them. Over those who have no hope. Over those who put their faith in their riches or in their wisdom. In the end, it doesn't matter. In the end, it is the righteous who will triumph. Because God will triumph. And their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. Verse 15, he returns to that idea he hinted at just a sentence ago. But God will redeem my soul. This goes back to what he said at the very beginning. Why should I fear Why should I fear? Because God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me. Think on that. God will receive me. My hope is not in riches. My hope is not in wealth. My hope is in God. And therefore I shall not fear. This is the hope of the one who trusts in God. It hints here at resurrection, God will redeem my soul from what? From the power of the grave. Because my God has more power than the grave. What the ungodly cannot do for themselves, as it mentions in verse 7 and 8, they cannot redeem themselves. Redemption is costly. They cannot redeem themselves. They have no hope to live eternally. But what the ungodly cannot do for themselves, God will do for the godly. He will redeem them. 
It's interesting, if you look back over to the end of Psalm uh, 48. Psalm 48, this great psalm, great is the Lord, greatly to be, to be praised. It goes on to espouse the greatness of Jerusalem, and then it gets to the big point that this is God. Jerusalem is great because for God is great. Verse 14, this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide. Where? Even to death. Even to death. Psalm 49 picks up right where Psalm 48 leaves. Psalm 48 gives the promise, God will guide us even to death. Psalm 49, contemplating death, comes to this conclusion, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. God will lead me not just to death, he will lead me in death. For he shall receive me. Verse 16 to 20 then, the psalmist returns to the idea of the ungodly. But he's putting this, these last verses, 16 to 20, it's in terms of a, um, a, a call to action. So at the beginning, verse 5, I will not fear. Why should I fear? Because of this, because of this, because of this. I will not fear. Why? Because God will redeem my soul. Therefore, you others, you other godlies, do not be afraid. Now it's your turn. I will not be afraid because I know that God will redeem me. Now, you don't be afraid. You don't be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, just like every generation before him. He will die, and he will leave his riches and his power and his wisdom behind. They shall never see light. And once again, we come to this chorus. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. In the end, he is no different than a mindless animal. I think it's important to mention that the problem in Psalm 49 is not wealth. The problem is not wealth. Wealth no more makes a man wicked than poverty makes him good. The problem is not that these men are wealth, wealthy. The problem is they're putting their hope, their faith, their trust in their wealth, in their possessions, instead of in God. Wealth does not make you wicked. Wealth merely reveals the wickedness that is already in your heart. You are wicked. So the call of Psalm 49 is a call to trust the Lord. Don't trust your strength. Don't trust your power. Don't trust your wealthy, your, your uh, wealth. Don't trust your wisdom. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Because any hope outside of him is an empty hope. It's a not hope at all. Meaning for life and hope and death are not found in riches or wisdom or power or respect, but in God alone. Psalm 
49 is a very heavy psalm. But there's one verse that stands out. There's one verse that gives hope. And it's Psalm 15. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. My God is greater than the grave. And my God will redeem my soul from the grave. For he will receive me. That's my God. He's a powerful God. He's a great God. So don't put your hope in riches. Don't put your hope in anything else. Put your hope in God alone. As I mentioned, it's the perfect psalm to spend this Wednesday in. Because this coming Sunday, we'll finish John 11. And we'll see that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. We'll see that he really does have power over death. And he calls to us just like he called to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? What are you trusting in this evening? I hope that everyone in here is trusting in God. That your hope is in Christ alone for salvation. That you're not looking at anything else in this life. You're not looking at your track record of attending church. You're not looking at your family. You're not looking at your wealth. You're not looking at your power. You're not looking at how much you've given to this church. You're looking to God alone. He's your only hope in life and your only hope in death.